everybody. Welcome to episode 55 of the Two Quarterback Experience. I'm your host. My name is Greg Smith. And our guest tonight is Chelsea, my dog, likely making some noise in the background at some point. I'm trying something new this week. Uh, No guest for reals uh, besides the dog. Um, When Joshua Lake went into, you know, early fantasy football retirement earlier this offseason, I kind of had to figure out how I wanted to keep the podcast going. And I've had a bunch of great guests, and that's been the way I plan to continue doing this for the time being. But I did tell myself at the time back then that I wanted to try a solo show at one point and just see how it goes. So if you're listening right now, you are one of the guinea pigs for this test case of mine. So bear with me and let me know what you like and don't like about this episode. Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter at Greg Sauce or email the show at 2QBs at gmail.com. And as always, you spell that out. T-W-O-Q-B-S. Um, so yeah, we'll see how it goes. Uh, Going to be me talking to you for a long time, so strap in. Let's dive in to the Week 3 recap up front. And we'll start, as we always do, with the biggest 2QB developments. Uh, one thing that I had talked about last week with Jeff Dumont on the show was quarterback scoring and how it had generally been down uh, or low for the first couple weeks of the season. And QBs really bounced back in Week 3 Um, Bringing up those stats from last episode again, last season quarterbacks scored an average of 16.4 points per game, uh, but in weeks one and two of the season, the average for quarterbacks was only 14.3 points per game. So we were looking for some sort of regression back towards that 16-point threshold, and in week three we got it. Um, Without factoring in the Monday Night Football game with Dak Prescott and Carson Palmer, uh, week three has quarterbacks sitting at 16.9 points per game. So... The second preseason here, you know, the first couple weeks of the regular season is starting to come to a close. I think some of these teams are starting to figure out exactly, you know, what they're trying to do. These guys are getting in better sync with each other. I think that uh, Kirk Cousins and the Redskins were a really good example of that uh, last night on Sunday Night Football, just seeing that offense really start to click for the first time. And, And admittedly, their first two matchups were not ideal, and Oakland is a pretty good matchup, so that had something to do with uh, Cousins' bounce back and the bounce back of that passing game. But there is something to be said about the fact that all of these quarterbacks generally scored more in week three than they did in previous weeks. So what else did we see around the league? We saw Russell Wilson get back on track. Uh, QB2 on the week entering Monday Night Football, 373 yards, four touchdowns. So that was a big win for me. I've been you know touting him all through the offseason. He was my QB2 in drafts. And it's I still don't feel good about that call, to be honest. Like I'm not necessarily convinced he's going to deliver that QB2 season, but he is a guy who over the past couple of years we've seen get better as the season goes along, as they you know become more and more willing to open up their passing game, and man, you look at the, the state of the backfield there in Seattle, and it, it makes sense that they're going to start to air it out a little bit more, although I was encouraged generally by what I saw from Chris Carson yet again. I think he's still the only running back you really want to own in Seattle. Uh, the fact that Thomas Rawls fell all the way back to, I don't even know if he got a carry yesterday. It's it's basically Carson and ProSize are the only two running backs worth owning. And if you're in a standard league, don't even worry about ProSize. It's all about Carson. Uh, what else do we see? We saw Eli Manning and Kirk Cousins. I mentioned Cousins before, but Manning was another guy who course corrected. Uh, we just are seeing that Odell Beckham Jr. makes a world of difference for Eli, no matter what. And in the case of Cousins, noted this just a few seconds ago, Oakland is the defense that, you know, makes every quarterback look better. Uh, It doesn't really matter who the opponent is. So that's a matchup we'll continue to keep an eye on. I mean, it's not quite at the level of New Orleans or New England yet, but uh, that Oakland matchup is a nice one, especially because generally 
Derek Carr and their offense will drive scoring. Now, I don't know if we're going to see that same sort of matchup in Week 4, but we'll get to that later. More stuff from Week 3. Other end of the spectrum, uh, not necessarily a good performance. Cam Newton just couldn't get it done against that Saints defense I was just touting as a good matchup. That's, I mean, that's really a bad sign for Cam. For whatever reason, uh, we have to assume that it has to be partially related to health. But there's also the idea that, you know, the fact that they've had so much turnover in their offense, bringing in Christian McCaffrey, uh, you know, kind of shifting the offense more towards those style of plays that incorporate him out of the backfield, uh, maybe Cam is adjusting to that as well in addition to adjusting to a shoulder that's not completely healed or, or not quite the same as it used to be. Uh, Kelvin Benjamin got hurt in that game, which didn't help him at all. The report uh, that I saw from Ian Rappaport said that it's not considered a major injury, although with, with majors in quotes there, we don't really know what that means. There isn't uh, you know a, a grading scale that doctors use where, oh, this is a major injury. This is something that you know is, is going to hold him out for at least four weeks. You know, We don't really know what that report means. We don't know exactly how long he's going to miss. And the fact that they're already missing Greg Olson could mean that we're in for a real uphill climb with Cam Newton going forward, even in two quarterback leagues. He might just be relegated to that QB2 tier, and he'll still have some rushing upside, which is good. But I'm not holding my breath, man. He, he's not a guy I'm super excited to own at this point. I'm not going to be you know targeting him in DFS until he starts to look healthy again. Uh, so major concerns with Cam Newton. Uh, one note that I, I really liked, one more thing on Newton, uh, was from Rich Rebar at Lord Reeves on Twitter. Uh, he tweeted out something earlier today that said Newton is finished as a QB1 in just two of his past 13 games and QB17 or lower in 10 of those games, including all three games this year. So this isn't just isolated to 2017. Cam Newton was not very good at the end of last year. And again, partially injury related, no doubt. But maybe he just isn't that good. And we're holding on a little too tight to that outlier season from 2015. That is the odds-on favorite, you know, explanation for what's going on here is that we still have that recency bias, even though it's not super recent anymore, uh, and it's clouding our judgment with what type of player Cam Newton really is. Because even before that big blow-up season, he was never quite that elite, you know, top one every week sort of player. Uh, he really tended to get by with that rushing floor and the fact that even like because he was such a good rusher, they always would give it to him. They would never incorporate the running backs. It seemed. So anyway, yeah, major concerns with Cam. Uh, let's see, what else we want to get to here? Matt Ryan, Jameis Winston, Phillip Rivers, three you know solid QBs, or so we thought, all kind of disappointed in week three, three interceptions apiece. We'll get to more on them with the uh, the bust of the week talk a little bit later in the episode. And the last thing I want to note it on a two QB level is another callback to last week's episode where Jeff and I discussed Trevor Semyon and how sustainable his production from weeks one and two really was and we were both skeptical going into week three uh you know going on the road traveling east to go to buffalo and we saw semi and regress a bit in that game i i think the truth with him is probably somewhere in the middle of you know these two sides that we've seen like the the touchdown reliant guy from the first two weeks and then uh you know the the guy who just isn't quite there as a, as a starting caliber quarterback in week three against buffalo i think that buffalo defense isn't the greatest, but they've done pretty well at, at limiting quarterbacks uh, so far this year. Now, with that said, you know, the quarterbacks they've limited have been for the Jets, uh, the aforementioned Cam Newton, who's struggling, and Trevor Simeon. The difference is, is that Trevor Simeon really blew up for those first two weeks, 
And so when we see him not perform in Buffalo, it seems like a disappointment. I think we need to look at it the other way. I think we need to look at those first two weeks as more of outliers. Like he was really scoring a lot of TDs. Like he didn't have a whole lot of point or a whole lot of yardage in those games. I think he was under 240 passing yards uh, in both of the first two weeks of the season. And Buffalo exposed him a little bit as a touchdown reliant QB, just like every other QB in that large middle class of the position. So temper your expectations for Semyon going forward. This isn't, you know, he, he's not dead, but he's not necessarily the elite guy that maybe you wanted him to be after those first two weeks. Uh, moving away from quarterbacks, some other stuff we saw from around the league. Uh, the demise of DeMarco Murray was greatly exaggerated by me and by Jeff last week. Uh, I was all in on Derrick Henry, man, and I took a, a big loss uh, in the week, not only just for from a touting perspective, but also from a lineup perspective. I was playing Henry over Murray even after the reports that uh, you know Murray was going to play. Uh, really burned me and Scott Fishbowl. And this is going to continue to be a muddied situation. I'm not super excited to have to navigate it for a while. I hope we get a little bit more clarity there uh, between Murray and Henry. With that said, I, I still think Henry is a guy that is going to have value at some point. Murray was struggling in those first two weeks, and he did not look fully healthy. Now, maybe he's turned a corner. If that's happened, good for him. I'm, I'm super excited for him to you know hopefully deliver on the promise that he showed us last year behind that offensive line in Tennessee because, like I said, I own him in a few spots, including in the SFB. But I, I think that Henry, because of this Murray performance, might be a good buy-low candidate. And I I hesitate to use buy-low and sell-high because those are such nothing buzzwords in fantasy football. But Henry is a, is a player who, based upon this recent performance, you know, the fact that Murray did look really good, you might get people saying, oh, shoot, well, now Murray is healthy Henry's not going to deliver, but I don't know. It's really hard to say. Like it all depends on how savvy your your league mates are and how much they enjoy or, or care about the players that they own, right? Like the guy who drafted Derrick Henry, you know, if that guy is me in leagues, I'm still holding an optimistic view of that player. Whereas, you know, if you're looking for him as a buy low, you're really looking for an owner who has soured on Henry as a fantasy asset. And you know, I mean. It's probably still too early in the season for that, to be honest. Like I, like I said, myself, the way I feel about it as a Henry owner, I'm not looking to get rid of him. Like, the upside is still there. What I drafted him to be uh, is is still viable, you know, over the balance of the season. So I'm not necessarily looking to cut bait. Um, now, if I turn that on its ear and say, would I try to sell Henry right now? That's a good question. Um, it, it's difficult to, under, like to, to, in a vacuum, decide, you know, what you're going to try to get for a guy like him. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily want to trade him straight up for a running back because, you know, same position for same position trades are are dumb and no one should do them. But uh, I I say that tongue-in-cheek to some extent. But if you're looking for, you know, a wide receiver to target on the level of Derrick Henry moving forward, well, you're probably not going to get any sort of elite level player at this point because, you know, Henry is the backup and we, and we saw that. So you're, you're looking to target guys who have underperformed a little bit, uh, maybe someone who you might expect to bounce back. I think that the situations in Green Bay are interesting. Um, I think Devontae Adams is not a guy you could necessarily get for Henry, but maybe Henry plus another player could get you a player like that. Um, with Randall Cobb out and with Geronimo Allison just having a big game, I think Adams is an interesting target. Uh, in Seattle, we saw that Doug Baldwin got a little dinged up in week three. Uh, maybe you go after Paul Richardson or Tyler Lockett if you need wide receiver help. There's just too much context dependency when we talk about trades, right? So let's keep going. Um, 
sticking with running backs, Joe Mixon becoming the bell cow for Cincinnati, uh, 21 opportunities for him compared to five for Giovanni Bernard and eight for Jeremy Hill. Uh, Bernard got the only touchdown for a Cincinnati running back, though. I think Mixon is set up for a really nice week in week four against Cleveland. So if he's a guy who you, you know, did invest in, in your drafts and you waited this long to, you know, get an answer one way or the other, whether he was going to pan out, I think it's all systems go, man. You, You can throw him out there in this matchup. I am hesitant because there is still that competition for targets and Bernard is going to stay involved. Uh, the Cleveland defense has also been surprisingly decent. Um, but we did just see Frank Gore get right against them. I think that when you plug in a player like Mixon, who you know has that that youth and that you know that upside, that just raw talent at the running back position, he's a guy who could have a really nice week. And I, I don't want to overinflate his value going into Week Four, but that's a matchup I'm going to be watching real carefully. Oh, there's the co-host in the background, uh, Darren Sproles, broken arm, torn, torn ACL for the Eagles. That left a pretty even split for LeGarrette Blunt and Wendell Smallwood in terms of carries. They both had 12 for about 70 yards each. Uh, Corey Clement snuck in there with six carries, even got one in for a touchdown in the fourth quarter, a game-tying touchdown at that. So this is probably going to continue to be uh, a mess, uh, a situation that you want to stay away from in that Eagles backfield. Smallwood figures to be your PPR play. Blunt figures to be your goal line type player. Uh, So there's, you know, PPR and standard league appeal for both of those guys, respectively. Clements, the wild card, uh, undrafted guy, as far as I know. And I don't know enough about him yet. We'll have to see if he can continue to carve into those other guys' workloads. So week four is going to be an interesting test case for that. Melvin Gordon has a bone bruise. Uh, They say that it's minor from what we're told. But considering how sparse the waiver wire ads are going to be this week, you know, that we didn't really see a whole lot of turnover in terms of injury uh, this could be a week where you might be able to sneak in a waiver claim on Brandon Oliver, the backup to Melvin Gordon. And, you know, if Gordon maybe exacerbates his injury uh, in week four, then Brandon Oliver goes way up in value and you can either try to flip him to the Gordon owner or, or play him yourself. Uh, with all this said, Brandon Oliver is not a special talent whatsoever. He's not a guy who I would be actively looking to start, but if you're just trying to, you know, mine for value and really stash these guys ahead of time, I think that he's an interesting candidate for that. Uh, moving away from running back, let's talk about tight ends. Mercedes Lewis, man, blast from the past. Three touchdowns against Baltimore in a game that I was dead wrong about. I thought that Baltimore was going to snuff out that Jacksonville offense just like they did the, the first two teams they faced. But, you know, they went over to London. They clearly did not take the Jaguars seriously. They crapped the bed. Uh, Baltimore looked really bad. Uh, in terms of Mercedes Lewis's value going forward, he could be, you know, that red zone replacement for Allen Robinson, that big-bodied receiver who just goes up and gets the ball. I don't fully buy it, though. He only had five targets in the game, uh, and, you know, he caught three of them for TDs. That's just not sustainable production. Maybe this will open up the Jaguars' play caller's eyes a little bit more to go after and target Lewis in the passing game. I just I don't want to bank on that based upon one game. I'm not there yet. I think you could speculatively add him if you need the tight end help because, you know, tight end is a wasteland each and every week. Uh, So Lewis has some interesting, you know, deep waiver wire appeal for that reason. I'm not going to get too excited. And if I am targeting a guy off the waiver wire, I would probably look to Ryan Griffin first, or maybe not first, but before Lewis. Uh, Five catches for 61 yards and a touchdown. We saw C.J. Fedorowicz get a lot of action from the tight end spot 
in the Houston offense last year. I was really high off the Dorowitz entering this year as a value tight end, a guy that you could get in the later rounds and produce. It was you know him and Charles Clay and Jason Witten. Those were my three guys uh, in MFL 10s. In you know any other league where I was waiting to take a tight end in the draft, uh, if you're looking for a guy, uh, I think that Griffin is probably a more appealing, at least a PPR candidate than Lewis because Houston just has fewer passing or pass catching options. Uh, Griffin, you know, we saw him produce last year. We're seeing him produce now that he's healthy this year. I think that he's a guy who will have some value moving forward. Uh, the other guy that I'd be targeting this week, if he's not already owned, is Austin Safarian Jenkins. Uh, tied for the sixth most tight end targets in week three. He had six targets. And that was in a week where the Jets threw the third fewest passes of any NFL team. So in terms of a percentage basis, Safarian Jenkins was seeing a lot of targets in that offense. So he's a guy that you can really look to as a another guy who, because his team's other receiving options are so limited, could be in line for a lot of work moving forward. Uh, at wide receiver, it was a relatively chalky week in terms of you know some of the guys we expected to be playing well. Uh, a lot of the, a lot of the big name players delivered, finished highly in fantasy scoring. Uh, I did really like seeing T.Y. Hilton start to develop some chemistry with Jacoby Brissett, albeit against a pretty bad team in Cleveland. Uh, this does give me some hope. Like Hilton has consistently been targeted, he's consistently brought in catches, uh, and once he got to see a bad defense there that really you know, kind of turned it up a notch for him. And, and he's a guy who I, I think that even though Andrew Luck isn't there, uh, he's a receiver you can start to use with a little bit more confidence. Now, with that said, they're going to Seattle this week uh, to play the Seahawks, and I'm not touching Hilton in that matchup. Uh, Sterling Shepard, man, benefiting just like Eli from the return of Odell Beckham Jr., uh, posted a really big game, and it's just crazy how much OBJ changes that offense. I think that Shepard, Ingram, and even Brandon Marshall bounce back a little bit. Uh, all three of those guys are going to be a lot better moving forward, assuming you know they can all stay healthy and Odell Beckham and, and Eli Manning can stay healthy as well. Which, you know, considering the state of, of that offensive line, is not a foregone conclusion for Eli. And you know, we know that Beckham's hurt already and still probably recovering to some extent. He's just such a good player that it doesn't matter. So you know, knocking on wood that he can stay healthy and continue to produce like he did in week three uh, because when he does it it opens up value for Eli it opens up value for these other receivers uh, it really it really changes the game for the Giants so uh, keep an eye on Shepard he's a guy who you know is probably owned but you know if, if someone dropped him for whatever reason maybe because Beckham was coming back this might be the time to buy uh, just because there is more opportunity for him uh, to face weaker competition in terms of uh, defensive backs I mentioned the Doug Baldwin, uh, a little minor injury that occurred in week three. Michael Crabtree also had a um, supposedly minor injury. I'm always dubious, man. Any any injury is, is minor until it isn't, right? These guys could say they're fine. All the reports could come out as fine. We'll see those limited practices get turned in during the week. And all of a sudden, you know, game time comes and they don't, they don't look quite the same. So keep an eye on those two. I'm not I'm not really worried yet about either one. I think they're both good enough players to play through some pain and, and continue to produce. But if they do miss time, that means that a lot of opportunities are going to get opened up for those secondary and tertiary receivers in uh, the Oakland and Seattle offenses. That's, uh, like I mentioned before, Paul Richardson, Tyler Lockett. And for Oakland, Jared Cook, Seth Roberts. And maybe just more work for Amari Cooper or the running backs catching passes out of the backfield of Jalen Richard, DeAndre Washington. A couple more quick uh, wide receiver notes. It looks like Bruce Ellington is starting to take over that wide receiver two role in Houston. 
So if you don't believe in Ryan Griffin, like I do, then maybe Ellington's the guy you go after on the waiver wire. Just be careful. We're still talking about a rookie QB, Deshaun Watson, who, while he did connect with Ellington on that big touchdown play, there's still going to be some mistakes in his game. And these receivers are going to be up and down because of that, I would assume. That's typically how it goes with rookie wide receivers. Uh, Last note, I I touched on the Green Bay receivers a little bit earlier, but Geronimo Allison, huge game stepping up for Randall Cobb. Uh, I think that Cobb should be back eventually, which means that Allison isn't, you know, a high priority on your waiver wires. But, you know, if you can, if you have some fab to burn or if you want to put in a, you know, kind of a lower stakes claim on Allison, he's a guy who might be usable for another week. And who knows if, if Cobb gets hurt again, like aggravates the injury, uh, if Jordy Nelson gets hurt because, you know, he, he is known to do that himself. Uh, Devontae Adams, you know, missed basically an entire year of valid production with injury a couple seasons ago. Uh, this is... Not the the healthiest team in the league, and so Geronimo Allison could be a beneficiary, uh, but still more of a speculative ad than anything else. And so with all that out of the way, let's get to our awards for week three, the boom of the week. And there are a few options here, a few good options, I think. And and we'll start off with a question from Twitter. This one comes from Pete Aquaviva, at PD Aquaviva. He asks, can we actually trust Brissett? Uh, So Jacoby Brissett here posted a really nice game against the Browns, and that's the big caveat, right? It came against Cleveland, but 259 passing yards and a TD through the air, uh, 14 yards on the ground, two rushing scores, no turnovers. He outplayed Deshaun Kaiser in a week where a lot of people were touting Deshaun Kaiser as a streaming candidate. I think that we can't trust Brissett. No, (laughs) he's a guy who I will continue to use as Scott Fishbowl because I'm out of options, Uh, but he does have value based upon the rushing upside. This is the same thing that applies to Deshaun Watson, and it's always applied to, to Tyrod Taylor. I don't think that Brissett is as good as Tyrod Taylor. I don't think Deshaun Watson is either. But the fact that they run the ball, the, the fact that they're uh, rushing it around the goal line specifically, gives these guys a lot more opportunity to outperform you know, their expectation in terms of, uh, or, or outperform their deficiencies in the passing game. Uh, so against bad opponents... Brissett is a guy that I'm definitely going to be looking at. Uh, same with Kaiser, same with Tyrod, right? Um, uh, against better opponents, uh, once again, Seattle this week, no, Brissett is not a guy I want to use if I can help it. Uh, but he's not going to be my boom of the week. We're going to keep going. Uh, Blake Bortles has a really strong case, uh, and he's probably the runner-up for me. Uh, that Baltimore defense, like I said, was one that I was terrified of. They did not show up to play in London, and Blake Bortles torched them. Uh, but with that said, it was kind of a Trevor Simeon-esque torching. A uh, lot of TD passes driving the points that Bortles scored. He only had 244 yards passing. So, again, temper your expectations. This is not a guy who is going to consistently perform like this, but the fact that he's capable of performing like this, the fact that Jacoby Brissett is capable of performing like this, this general... You know, wide range of usable assets you have at the QB position. This is why late round quarterback works, people. Even in two QB leagues, you can find these guys off the waiver wire. You can find them cheap in your drafts. And that's a big takeaway for me every year. Now, with that said, there are plenty of other QBs, you know, higher picks who did fine this week. Great. You invested a bunch of capital on them. You didn't get access to other players in that range. This is opportunity cost. I hate to harp on draft season people now, but. Here's your evidence, people. Like, this is why when draft season rolls around next year, you don't have to be quite so worried about taking those quarterbacks early. But I digress. Uh, Bortles, 
not really uh, the boom of the week for me, but you know, relative to expectations, uh, I think he's up there. Um, there was another Twitter question from Mark Rascon at Mark underscore Rascon. He asked, "Is Bortles the great enigma?" And yeah, the answer is yes. He's he's always been the great enigma. It's like he he sucks for three quarters. Then when they're losing terribly and the other team stops caring. Uh, you know, Bortles comes in, he cleans up in garbage time. This was a completely different sort of game. You know, this was just completely unpredictable. Uh, I, I think that the Jags schedule lines up as a bit of a mixed bag going forward, but because of that, you can expect Bortles to continue to be serviceable as a low end quarterback too. He's a guy who you can begrudgingly use week in and week out if you have to. And there's value in that. He's a guy who, you know, needs to be on a two QB roster somewhere. Two more quick hitters, the Thursday night game, uh, Brian Hoyer, Jared Goff, also both had a case to be our boom of the week. I don't think it's Goff, if only because it came against the Niners, whereas Brian Hoyer, you know, supposedly was playing against a good Rams defense and still scored a ton of points. It made me feel like an idiot because I was way down on him entering that game. Uh, and, but you know what, for all the good that we saw of Hoyer in that game, he really didn't play that well. I think it's still a fine idea to go get C.J. Bethard if you're trying to speculate on backup QBs. I feel like we've talked about him every episode of this season, and I'm going to continue to talk about him because I really don't think Brian Hoyer is going to be starting for San Francisco all season. And that brings us to our next Twitter question. This one comes from uh, my partner, Sal Stefanili, at 2QBFFB. He asks, who is the best backup to stash that I think starts within the next two to three weeks? And Let's get the major caveat out of the way first. If a, if a starting quarterback gets injured in the next two or three weeks, that shakes up anything I'm about to say, right? So we have to think about this in terms not just of injury, but also in terms of what these teams are planning for, what they're trying to do long-term uh, or short-term, and which QBs that are currently starting have been performing the worst. And so I think your best three options are Bethard uh, and... Mitchell Trubisky and Drew Stanton. And of those three, I would probably put Trubisky at the top of the tier. You know, this is the cream of the crap, I guess. Um, Mike Lennon is not going to be the long-term answer in Chicago. And Mitchell Trubisky has a lot of draft capital invested in him. There's going to be a point this season, I don't know when, but you know, within the next two to three weeks, sounds reasonable, where the Bears move on from Lennon to Trubisky just to give the rookie some reps and to help him start developing some chemistry with his teammates there in Chicago, Trubisky is probably the guy for me. I think Bethard and Stanton are the next two. Uh, you know, Stanton is kind of pending what Carson Palmer does tonight in Monday, Monday Night Football against Dallas. Uh, that game is going on as I record. I think there are a couple guys a little bit lower down for me. I'm going to call them the least shorteners, uh, A.J. McCarron and Chad Henney. Uh, these guys are also clear backup caliber players. But because the QBs ahead of them have, have played so poorly, I think Dalton in particular is a guy who, who's likely to be replaced at some point if he can't turn it around. Uh, there were moments in that game against Green Bay on Sunday where the decision-making just wasn't there and the confidence wasn't there. And it has everything to do with how bad his offensive line is. But at some point, that stops being an excuse that he can lean on. They have to try to win games. And if they're not winning games, they have to see what they have from McCarron. Uh, I think that because they're playing behind that bad offensive line, Dalton is a higher injury risk too, which boosts up McCarron's value. Maybe he should be in that upper tier with Trubisky, Bethard, and Stanton. Um, he's probably, I mean, the more I think about it, McCarron's probably a better option than Stanton because 
if McCarron gets the job, he's probably keeping it. Whereas if Stanton gets the job, he could just as easily lose it to Blaine Gabbert. And Henny uh, is in the same boat. You know, Bortles has him in great. Uh, if at some point they decide, you know, hey, our defense and running game are keeping us in these games, but Bortles keeps blowing it, then maybe Henny's the guy who steps up in his place and just manages them to a 9-7 and record. That's a possibility. The next group I would call just pure futures bets. Uh, the aforementioned Blaine Gabbert is there. Bryce Petty, Matt Moore, Nathan Peterman. Not a whole lot to say about these guys. They just are playing for bad teams, and eventually bad teams tend to move on from their veteran quarterbacks to check out what they have with the younger guys. Now, Matt Moore is not a young guy, and neither is... I mean, Blake Gabbert's still relatively young, but Matt Moore is more of just a, a backup. Um, we saw the bad Jay Cutler on Sunday. I think that all these guys are players that you can target uh, if you're you know speculating long-term for, for a quarterback play. Uh, and then the last tier I'll, I'll throw out there are by injury only guys, but for certain reasons they're you know kind of higher on the food chain than all other backups. The first is Jimmy Garoppolo because we've seen him produce well. He's playing in a really good offense if he gets the keys, and Tom Brady's taken a fair number of hits this season. Uh, I don't anticipate that Brady will ever give up the job unless he gets injured, uh, but Garoppolo is a guy who could get in there and be really good if Brady gets hurt. Um, with that said, I'm not usually the type of player to stash that type of quarterback who's reliant only on injury. Uh, Derek Anderson, if only because Cam has looked bad because there are health concerns there already. Uh, he's a guy who you can target. And Geno Smith, offensive line problems in New York, just like with uh, Cincinnati. Uh, if Eli gets dinged up, Geno could get in there. I mean, Eli hasn't necessarily looked good. He put up a fair number of fantasy points in week three, but I'm still out on Eli Manning. I do not think that he is the same player he used to be. And at this point, he's coasting on name brand value. He has been maybe even since last year. And Geno Smith could be a better option for them. I have a feeling we'll probably see a coaching change with the Giants before we see a quarterback change. But who knows? That might be the thing that spurs uh, them to move on to Geno Smith as well. We have no idea. All right, so with that sidebar out of the way, let's get to my official boom of the week. This is just came out of nowhere for me. Case Keenum, man, really elevated by Stephon Diggs and the lackluster Tampa Bay defense to some extent, but just based upon my initial expectations of what he was going to be able to do in that offense and based upon what we saw the previous week, the fact that he blew up for as many points that he did was just really crazy. I mean, we're, we're talking about, we're not talking about one of those weeks where he got by only on touchdowns. He did have three TDs. That, ma that makes a huge difference, of course, but still threw for almost 370 yards that, that's just insane. Like, that Tampa Bay defense is one that we really have to consider targeting from here on out. I don't know if they just came in and underestimated what Keenum could do, but, th man, that was an impressive performance. It gives you some hope moving forward for the receivers in that offense, Thielen and Diggs. Uh, Dalvin Cook continues to look awesome as well. Uh, I, I don't think that the lack of Sam Bradford is something that needs to totally sour us on all those skill position players if Keenum can continue to play this well. With that said, it does feel like a bit of an outlier. I'm not totally buying in, but you know, if you're desperate for a QB, if you were the Bradford owner and you picked up Keenum as just a handcuff, maybe he's a guy you have to start this week. Like I think in Scott Fishbowl, I may start Case Keenum over Jacoby Brissett uh, in week four. So we'll see more on that later. Um, bust of the week. Let's keep going here. Let's get to who it's not first. I'll try to ramble through these a little quicker. Cam Newton, uh, again, we, we knew that there was some risk with him entering this game, the lingering injury concerns. We've talked a lot about how he disappointed already, so we'll keep going. He's not the bust for me. Uh, Jay Cutler, Ben Roethlisberger, both kind of 
tanked on the road just against bad teams. Like usually when you see matchups against bad teams, you want to be using those quarterbacks. But, you know, both of them still served up about 12 fantasy points each. And again, these are Jay Cutler and Ben Roethlisberger we're talking about. With Jay Cutler, you can just kind of evergreen think of him as a risky play. And with Roethlisberger, we know that he's generally not as good on the road. Now, that is the case with most quarterbacks, as we discussed last week. But I, I may have to just take the loss here and or take the L, as the kids say, and admit that Big Ben really does just stink on the road most of the time. I think more so they just play down to their competition. And they went into this game thinking they could just roll over the Bears. The Bears showed up to play. And I, I don't know. I think maybe that Bears defense is a little bit better than most realize or most expect, and maybe better than I expected. Um, that's going to be something I'm going to be keeping an eye on uh, moving forward. Uh, Phillip Rivers is also not my bust of the week, although he has a case. I just think that Kansas City is too tough an opponent to really ding him for that poor performance. It's not like Phillip Rivers has any sort of home field advantage uh, in L.A. either. Casey does seem to have his number more than, say, like the Denver defense does, which is interesting to me. I don't know what's up with that, but maybe it's also just that Denver's defense is a little overrated because, as we've seen now for three weeks in a row, you can put up passing numbers against them, which for a long time was not the case. And it'll be fascinating to see how Derek Carr tests out against that moving forward because he has been so bad against Denver through his career. Speaking of Derek Carr, he is the bust of the week. I I, I talked about his upcoming matchup against Denver, but man, going into week three, we saw Washington on the schedule, their mediocre defense. What happened, Derek Carr? Like that, This is a matchup you should have crushed. They did not. Um, maybe Washington's defense is better than I gave them credit for. Uh, maybe we can blame a little bit of, of this performance on Michael Crabtree getting hurt, but that didn't happen until the fourth quarter. I, I just don't see it. I don't know what happened with Derek Carr in this game. Uh, maybe the you know the primetime traveling east thing was an issue. I'm not confident for a bounce back against Denver either. This is uh, a guy who maybe I turned over on a little too quick relative to my draft day expectations. Like when it was draft season, I was down on Derek Carr. I figured you know their schedule is going to be tougher this year than it was last season, and I think I gave too much credit to Carr for handling an easy schedule for the first two weeks. You know, he, he had to face Tennessee and the Jets. And I was like, oh, well, then Derek Carr's fine. Their offensive line looks great. And, you know, maybe this is the game that is going to clue me in, like either based upon the fact that they were on the road or based upon the fact that they were traveling east or maybe based upon the fact that Washington's defense is better than I realized. All of these factors are kind of congealing to make me think, you know what, maybe I I was right about Derek Carr in draft season. And, and I think the truth is probably somewhere in the middle the offensive line there in Oakland has played very well for the most part, evidenced by what they've done for Marshawn Lynch in the running game, as well as, you know, the passing stats that we saw Carr put up for the first two weeks. He just may not be as matchup proof as, you know, maybe I had come around to thinking he was after two weeks of play. So keep an eye on that. He's the bust of the week. Shame on you, Derek Carr. We wanted more. So coming up next, got the week four preview as usual, uh, streamer of the week, clipboard holder of the week. But first, let's take a quick break. For this episode's sponsor, once again, it is PlayDraft. I talk a lot on this podcast about the value of format diversification in fantasy sports. You know, if you play in a 2QB league, those are great because they add value to the quarterback position that you don't get from standard leagues. Uh, the Scott Fishbowl is a 2QB league that's even further great because it's like tournament style. We're playing with 700 plus competitors for the grand prize and it features like new and unique scoring settings 
every season. Keeps us on our toes. Uh, IDP leagues let us play with specific defensive players instead of lumping them all into team defenses. I don't even like IDP that much, but the point about all this is that these various formats are great because they make you think about strategy beyond the same old tried-and-true methods of standard leagues. When you have to do your own research into cracking a format, it's a lot more rewarding when you win, right? And that's what I love about Playdraft. They've combined two formats that we love, Snake Drafts and Daily Fantasy, and they've created an interesting way to, to play DFS by doing this. Instead of using a salary cap to limit which players you can use in your lineups, with Playdraft, you actually Snake Draft against the opponents in your contest. Uh, you are picking players that other people in your contest are not going to be able to get, and vice versa. That means that your lineup is 100% unique. On top of that, you play for cold, hard cash. Pick your players, watch them rack up points only for you, and win, man. This is this is what it's all about. This is your team, and you draft it only for a week, DFS style. Entry fees start at just $1, so you can jump into these Snake Draft DFS contests on any budget. And here's the best part. If you sign up for Playdraft through this podcast, you'll get your first draft for free. Go to playdraft.com slash T-W-O-Q-B and use the promo code T-W-O-Q-B when you create your account. Once you're all set up with your first deposit, you'll receive a free ticket for entry into a Playdraft contest. So once again, that's playdraft.com slash T-W-O-Q-B. Sign up with the promo code T-W-O-Q-B and get started with Playdraft today. Let's get to the week four preview. And I want to start with something that we haven't done or that we didn't do in week two, a little bit of accountability for what we talked about last week. I had Jeff Dumont on. We went through our streamers leading into week three. We kind of settled on Deshaun Kaiser. Uh, I did note that Brissett was a guy that I was going to be using in a couple leagues just because I had to. Kaiser was fine. Brissett was great. Those calls worked out all right. Um, I do feel good, again, about my call on caution for Trevor Simeon. He did disappoint a little bit relative to the first couple weeks. And we picked Eli as our clipboard holder of the week over Jameis as the go-to guy to bench. That did not work out so well. Eli posted uh, pretty good numbers, and Jameis kind of got ran over by that Minnesota defense. And it'll be interesting to see how he does going forward. Let's get into week four, though. The QB streamer of the week is a tough one, guys. The league has given us a lot of options with this schedule, and... The first one that will always jump out is whoever's playing the Saints, right? This week it happens to be Jay Cutler. Only the Patriots have been more favorable to opposing quarterbacks than the Saints. But I saw a nice tweet from uh, Josh ADHD, friend of the show, uh, one-time guest, uh, contributor to QBs.com. Josh retweeted uh, something from Armando Salguero where uh, Armando said, The New Orleans Saints are already in London. Dolphins fly out on Thursday land on Friday morning, and then go to practice from there. This is a red flag for Jay Cutler and the Dolphins. We just talked about how Baltimore did not show up for their uh, London game. And, man, this has got me really worried about Jay Cutler. With that said, man, the matchup is so juicy. How could you not use him if you have him? It's going to be a tough call. I think that Cutler's a fine streamer, but he's not going to be my streamer of the week. My streamer of the week is Tyrod Taylor, man. The ultimate floor play at Atlanta. It's not directly quarterback related, but Atlanta has allowed the fourth most fantasy points per game to running backs. And that means that LaShawn McCoy should still see plenty of volume as usual. But I do think that bodes well for Tyrod Taylor's rushing upside too. If they, you know, sell out to try to stop McCoy and make Tyrod beat them, 
even if he's not necessarily doing it with his legs, he's going to be getting out of the pocket. He's going to be, you know, hopefully finding some of his receivers. Charles Clay, Jordan Matthews, Zay Jones, Andre Holmes is making some appearances here and there. I think this is a nice spot for Tyrod just as a real safe quarterback option. And of course, now that I say that, he'll probably have his worst game of the year. But that's how it goes in these these things when we're trying to forecast. Uh, other options for streamer of the week, I did note that there were a lot. Andy Dalton at Cleveland. Uh, the Browns have allowed the fifth most fantasy points to quarterbacks so far this season. Uh, Deshaun Kaiser versus Cincinnati. Uh, so he's at home this week, which is nice. Uh, it's easier to trust him there. Still plenty of turnover risk, you know, play to play with Kaiser, but I think he's another candidate this week. Uh, Blake Bortles at the Jets. I'm not super hot on this one, mostly because Leonard Fournette is probably due for that game that we all wanted Jay Ajayi to have in week three. Uh, they, they could just be running the ball a ton and Bortles might not have to do much uh, to you know, walk away with the victory in that matchup. Uh, Deshaun Watson at home against Tennessee. The Titans have allowed the third most fantasy points to quarterbacks. Uh, the rushing upside with Watson is always there, as we've talked about. And DeAndre Hopkins has traditionally torched the Titans. Uh, that's a nice alliteration there. Uh, unintended by me there. Good job patting myself on the back right now. Um, so yeah, Watson's a guy I like. He, he's probably up there above Kaiser and Bortles for me. I think I would still rather use Dalton and Tyrod over Watson. I might start Watson over Cutler, though. Um, we noticed, noted that New Orleans was the second most favorable to quarterbacks. Tennessee's the third most, so, I mean, that's not really much of a drop-off. You factor in the London aspect of that game for Jay Cutler and the fact that Deshaun Watson is playing at home. That makes Deshaun Watson a little bit more appealing to me. Um, but I am a sucker for the rushing production. Let's Let's definitely admit to that. Uh, a couple other options for week four, Trevor Semyon home against Oakland. Uh, Kirk Cousins got right against the Raiders, so maybe Semyon can bounce back again and have another nice game. I, I think that he's a, a very reasonable option here. I, I think I like him more than Bortles, Kaiser, probably not Cutler. Um, I still think I would start Cutler over Semyon. Um, Alex Smith home against Washington. Washington's defense, as I noted, has looked a little bit better than I expected, but Kansas City's offense does attack in unconventional ways. They have Travis Kelsey, uh, and entering Week 2, Washington ranked 29th in DVOA uh, for defense against tight ends. I think that he could have a really nice game there. Uh, Tyreek Hill and Kareem Hunt are both really unique weapons in terms of how they're used in that passing game. So I, I think that even if Washington's defense is better than we expected, this Kansas City offense is unconventional enough to where they can still find value for Alex Smith through the passing game um, and, you know, being at home helps. I think that, that you, you're not expecting, you know, a huge game necessarily from Smith any given week, but in this week against Washington, he should be pretty good. And there is that upside for him to, you know, find Kelsey, find Hill, find Kareem Hunt through the air, uh, and maybe get some touchdowns to inflate his value up to, uh, you know, QB1 status. I think that's within the realm of possibility. Uh, but yeah, for me this week, Tyrod Taylor is the number one guy. I think that all these other players are are very viable, and I'm sure you know at least half of them will outscore Tyrod because that's how it goes. Clipboard holder of the week, the guy that you should probably bench here, and I'm just going to come out and start with the two obvious options. The first is Derek Carr at Denver. Uh, I've always has that dude struggled against Denver, um, and you know I've already talked enough about that game. Ben Roethlisberger at Baltimore is the other one for me. I think the Ravens should probably bounce back for this divisional matchup. They got embarrassed in London. This I don't know how much the travel is going to affect them. And, you know, Joe Flacco hasn't looked that good at all, period. So it's not like the Ravens can necessarily, 
you know, put the Steelers into terrible game script very easily. But I do think that Baltimore defense is very good. I think they're going to show up for this game and really harass Ben Roethlisberger. He's not a guy I think you should be aiming to use if you have maybe some of these other streaming options that I just noted. Uh, Other potential clipboard holders, Kirk Cousins at KC, uh, kind of the flip side of what we just talked about uh, with Alex Smith against Washington. You know, Kirk Cousins is going up against a solid defense in Arrowhead. Just not very exciting, especially coming on the short week um, after playing uh, Sunday night. Jameis Winston against the Giants is another one. The Bucks just really fell apart against the Vikings, and I'm not really sure if that was indicative of how they regarded Case Keenum on the opposite side of the ball. Maybe they just underestimated the uh, the Vikings' ability to put up points, and so they didn't show up very prepared. But I, I really don't think that's a valid excuse for Jameis. I, I don't really understand what we're still waiting for with him. Like, is that breakout ever going to come? He was the QB 18 and the QB 20 in his first two games of the season. This feels like more of the same, the same story that we got last year from Winston, a guy who turns the ball over too much and is a little too wild and poor with his decisions. Uh, I think the lack of performance on the defensive side of the ball for Tampa Bay doesn't help. It kind of raises the question, is Tampa Bay going to look to go more ball control with the running game like they did at the end of last season? Or do they try and steer into the skid of having a bad defense and let Winston chuck it a little more and and go for shootouts? I think that based upon how careless Winston is with the ball, the ball control route seems more likely. And I think that's why we saw them implement that strategy last season. I think that's why we're going to see them implement it again this year. And if I'm a Watson owner, I'm scared about that. Um, I'm not a Watson owner, though, because he was highly overvalued in drafts. Uh, for, for this reason, we just didn't know if he was going to be the guy that we all, you know, want him to be. And I, I, you know, fell for that trap or I fell into that trap last season. I was a little more careful this season. I probably still ranked him too high to be fair, but, uh, he was a guy I wasn't ending up with because the general hive mind of fantasy football was way higher on him based upon the Deshaun Jackson signing than, than I ever could be. Um, so not a guy that I own. I think that he's a guy who, who you can look to steer away from this week going against, going against the Giants. The last potential guy I'll note is Matthew Stafford at Minnesota. I have to throw the name out here, if only because he's playing against the Vikes, but Stafford has really passed every test so far, so why would you bench him now? I think that the Vikings haven't been all that oppressive against quarterbacks anyway. Uh, Winston did get a lot of his production in garbage time, but generally, quarterbacks have been able to produce fantasy stats against the Vikings. Um... They're one of only five teams to allow 15 fantasy points or more to every quarterback they face this year. So that bend-don't-break aspect of the Vikings' defense is what makes Stafford more playable than some of these other potential clipboard holders. Uh, in terms of the tweeners, the guys who are harder to evaluate, I think there are a few. Uh, Cam Newton at New England is a tough one. I think that he's probably more a, a candidate for clipboard holder of the week just because he doesn't look good, man. He hasn't looked right. But that New England defense has been the most favorable one to opposing quarterbacks in terms of fantasy production. So if you have Cam, you probably invested enough in him to where you have to start him this week uh, based upon the matchup uh, and based upon the fact that you might not have better options. But but that's not a foregone conclusion. As I mentioned, there are a lot of really viable streaming options this week. Uh, so Cam may be a guy that you could consider benching. I just think that it could go either way. It could be something where... You know, even if New England dominates that game, they might just, you know, let Cam Newton come back in garbage time. With that said, if you look at the way that the Panthers have traditionally handled those sorts of games, because they don't want Cam to take more hits, if New England does blow them out, we could see Derek Anderson in that game. And 
That, again, is another reason to make Cam potentially a clipboard holder this week. Uh, Dak Prescott going against the Rams is an interesting one. Uh, I think that a lot of how he is evaluated should be, you know, relative to this week three performance against the Cardinals, which is going on as I speak. Uh, So that'll inform how willing we are to use him against a Rams defense that, you know, while they did just give up a ton of fantasy points to Brian Hoyer, they're generally pretty scary. And I think that Prescott is a guy who has looked a little overmatched at times this season. So if the Rams defense shows up um, in Dallas for that game, Prescott could be a guy who disappoints a little bit. But, you know, I I think that he's probably fine. He's a guy who who you'll use. And that's why, I I don't know, he's he's in that middle range that he's tough for me to evaluate. Uh, Mariota at Houston is kind of in the same vein. He's going on the road against uh, pretty solid defense. But he's another guy kind of like Stafford who's passed most of the tests for me at this point. I'm willing to use Mariota probably every week going forward. Uh, last guy, Phillip Rivers, home against Philadelphia. Again, not really a home field advantage for him uh, in L.A., but you know we see we saw Eli Manning put up points against the Eagles. We've seen uh, Alex Smith do it. Kirk Cousins did struggle against them in week one, but again, that was kind of still the preseason for a lot of these teams, and Cousins still had 240 yards and a TD. Uh, so the Eagles is a tough one. Like I do think that defense is pretty good. I'm a little worried about Rivers based on what we just saw, but I think that Rivers is probably fine. Uh, him and Mariota, of these four, are definitely the two I'm the least worried about. But tougher to evaluate because the matchups are potentially more difficult than you know they might look on the surface. Looking ahead to some other stuff, just in week four, kind of winding down. Uh, things I'm looking forward to. Jared Goff, he's had a lot of extra time to prep for this game uh, in Dallas for week four. I don't really know what to expect with this dude, and he probably belongs in that tweener group as well, but I just don't know if I see that weekly ceiling for him. I think this is still Todd Gurley's offense for the most part. Goff's week three performance was primarily due just to playing the Niners, so I'm not really ready to trust him against the Cowboys. I think this game that they're playing against Arizona will give us a little bit more insight into what we can expect Goff to be squaring off against. Getting that third data point for Dallas is important because the first two weeks of them were a little inconclusive. Eli really struggled, but Trevor Simeon went bananas. Um, With that said, neither quarterback eclipsed 240 passing yards. Simeon's performance, as I noted earlier, was skewed by four passing touchdowns, which is abnormal for any QB, let alone Trevor Simeon. So this Cowboys defense may be decent, and what happens when Jared Goff plays against a decent team with a decent defense? Uh, that's something I'm going to be keeping an eye on. I also want to see if Detroit and their defense can keep it up against Case Keenum. This, on paper, looks like an awesome matchup, and Detroit has been really good in terms of a, a fantasy defense. They've scored a defensive touchdown or a special teams touchdown in all three games. We should not expect that to continue forever. Uh, But they do have seven interceptions in those three games, eight sacks, and 19 quarterback hits. Now, admittedly, those are inflated by the fact that they played the Giants, who have a terrible, terrible offensive line. But even, you know, with all that factored in, Detroit is averaging over 15 fantasy points per game. So if you take away, you know, a touchdown, you're still looking at a team that's scoring, you know, seven to nine fantasy points per game. And that's perfect. That's just what you want from your fantasy D. If Case Keenum reverts to being Case Keenum, then this could be another game where that Detroit defense performs well, and I'll be keeping an eye on them. I I was not really seriously considering them as a defensive pickup for, you know, the leagues where I'm streaming defense, 
But now I'm starting to come around on them, if only because they do seem opportunistic. And the matchups are there, man. They got Case Keenum this week and the Panthers after that. So that's one thing I do look for in a streaming defense is not only this week, but can I keep them again for the next week if I want to? And I think they fit the bill. The last thing I'm really interested in checking out for week four is, and I can't believe I'm saying this, the Thursday night football game, Aaron Rodgers going against Chicago. And and I just want to see how good this defense can be against a divisional opponent that knows them a little better, right? The Bears have allowed an average of 23 you know, actual points per game to their opponents, but those three teams they faced were all, you know, quote-unquote good offenses, Atlanta, Tampa Bay, Pittsburgh. These teams are not blowing the Bears out. Now, part of that is that the Bears don't really score too much to, you know, drive the other their opponents to, you know, really air it out and, and put up a ton of points. But the fact of the matter is the Bears have held these teams to a relatively low cumulative amount of points, which is not something I necessarily expected leading into the season. And I've, I've started to correct my expectation for that Bears D, I want to see how they do against Aaron Rodgers. They've allowed the 12th fewest fantasy points to opposing QBs, only 14.1 PPG, uh, which is pretty interesting considering that they faced Matt Ryan, Ben Roethlisberger, and Jameis Winston, these guys that, again, we thought were supposed to be pretty good fantasy quarterbacks. Um, They've had problems along the offensive line. They've got Randall Cobb dinged up. Jordy Nelson is a perpetual injury risk just based upon his age and use. I think that there's a fair case to be made that Chicago could overperform in that matchup, especially given the short week. Uh, but I, I don't know. I want to see. I, I have a feeling that Rodgers is going to be just fine. He's that good. He's that type of player to, you know, stick it to a bad team like the Bears. But I would have said the same thing about Ben Roethlisberger and about Matt Ryan, and those guys didn't necessarily do it. They didn't necessarily put up those fantasy points I wanted to see. So this is just another really good test for giving us data on the Bears defense and and what we can come to expect for different sorts of quarterbacks up against them moving forward through the rest of the season. And that's it, man. That's all I got for week three leading into week four. Uh, I really hope that this solo pod wasn't too boring. I will have more guests back on starting next week. This is not a regular thing. I just wanted to try it out. It's It's a test case, testing not only how you guys feel about it in case we need to do it again, but also testing my own ability to do it. And hopefully I I pulled it off. Uh, You guys should let me know if you think I didn't. Uh, And if you liked it, let me know what you did like. Uh, We could maybe incorporate more of this stuff in going forward. Um, But anyway, any feedback you have, whether it's about this episode or anything else, uh, we would really appreciate uh, getting that from you. You can hit us up on Twitter at 2QBs, and that's T-W-O-Q-B-S. And our email address is spelled the same way, 2QBs at gmail.com. Hit us up with any questions you got. Really appreciate your support, as always. Rate and review the podcast if you can. That would be also very good for us. So until next time, I hope week three wasn't too much of a disaster. Hope week four is good for all y'all. Adios. <laughs>